You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. morning again, church. Uh, for those of us who uh, perhaps are, are joining us for the first time, uh, we have been walking through a series in the book of Ephesians. Now, as uh, some of you who may be a little more keen to understand here, you've noticed we've gone back to Ephesians 5, although we were just in Ephesians 6 a few weeks ago. Over the last few weeks, we've been tackling some of the, the, the stronger ethical passages of Ephesians, uh, some of those hard teachings about how we relate to one another and we relate to the world at large, things like marriage, things like our children and parents, and also things like like work. And today we're going back into Ephesians 5 uh, to pick back up on a, uh, uh, really on a, on a, on a theme of uh, Ephesians chapter 5 uh, that we taught on about a month ago. And today we're going to look at specifically at the end of, uh, or the middle rather, of Ephesians chapter 5 in the filling of the Spirit. Now, uh, one of the things that has become one of the greatest joys of my life recently uh, is something that my children are teaching me, and that is that I don't need to take myself too seriously. Uh, the older I get, uh, they teach me this, and one ways in which they, they teach me this is when they're trying to imitate me, um, which I think is one of the funniest things. Uh, specifically, my daughter Ellie, uh, she tries to imitate me often, uh, and, and I'm going to show a very like three-second clip here of her trying to imitate me one day. Okay, d- d- roll it again one more time so we can get a... Okay, so um, apparently I talk in like a, like a Southern California like surfer voice or something uh, around my children because uh, she, she thought that that's how I greet my wife. Uh, so uh, she, she thought it was funny to put on my hat and, and try to do her best to imitate dad. Now, uh, there's another way in which um, I really do hope my kids imitate me and, and show themselves to be an imitator of me, and it's it started to happen already. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were at uh, a dinner table and Ellie, our oldest, uh, she looked at me and she said, Dad, I love Jesus more than anyone in this world, even more than you. (laughs) It feels like a punch to my ego at first, but the fact is it was the most beautiful words that she could ever utter and that she desired at her age to begin to have a love for Jesus like her mom and dad. You see, as a parent, there's really no greater joy, no, no prouder moment than when your children begin to desire what is dear to your heart as a parent. And what we find in chapter 5 here of Ephesians is that's precisely what God is after. He opens chapter 5 with the words, be imit- or, uh, Paul writes, be imitators of God as beloved children. In other words, what God wants is for what's dear to his heart to become dear to us. What, what his heart yearns for and longs for, for us to have that same desire, for us to, become to, to, to imitate the things that he loves. And as we get to the end of this uh, passage, so to speak, in the middle of Ephesians chapter 5, what Paul's going to teach us here today is the power, the resource we have to be imitators of God. The power and the resource that we have to to love the things that God loves, to live the way that would be pleasing to our Father in heaven, to be most fully who we are as imitators of God. And the power and the resource we have is the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so he gives us a very direct command in the middle of this passage today, and that is simply our main point today, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
The main idea today is that as imitators of God, as those who are wanting to, to walk in obedience and imitate our God, our Father, as his children, the resource and the power that we have to do such a thing is God himself in us. And that he provides that resource and calls us to be continually filled with it, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to ask three questions of this text that's going to help us understand what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can become imitators of our Father in heaven. Number one, we're going to look at what does it mean first? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Number two, how does the filling of the Spirit impact our lives? So get a little more practical. How does this text say that it actually impacts us when we're filled with the Holy Spirit? And then finally, how can we? How do we start with the process? How do we, how do we think about it with being filled with the Spirit? So let's go ahead and dive into our text here, starting in verse 15. Paul writes, and he says, pick it up on the theme that he's already been talking about, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Why? Making best of the use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but, and here's his command that's going, the whole passage is sent around, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, as we talked about the book of Ephesians, we, we've, we've, we've noted that as we've studied this, it really is a book that Paul is writing, a letter that he's writing to the church about the church. And he spends the first three chapters just reminding us of who we are as the church, as God's people. As we've been united to Christ, we have this union with Christ. We have these spiritual blessings that are at our disposal. That's who we are as Christians. And then he shifts and he says, if that's who we are, then this is how we ought to live as Christians in this world. This is how we actually take what we know of who we are as the church and begin to walk in those ways. And so he's using this language of walking in a particular way because now he's addressing how we ought to live knowing who we are in Christ. And he gives us this command, be filled with the Spirit. Now, before we can quite answer the question, well, what does he mean by that? I think we first have to just step back for a moment and ask the question, who is the Holy Spirit? When Paul talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, well, who is the Spirit that is filling us? Well, uh, the, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We have God the Father, we have God the Son, and we have God the Holy Spirit, meaning that the Holy Spirit is not a force, it's not an it, it's a he, it's a person. And so when we address the Holy Spirit, we address the Holy Spirit as who he is, as the third person of the Trinity. But you know, the Holy Spirit also provides for us proof of something in the Bible. It provides for us proof that God, throughout history, has been progressively getting closer to his people. Think about this for a moment. When you look at the Old Testament, God was with his people. But how did God speak to his people? How did God interact with his people? He spoke from above his people. He spoke through things like a pillar of clouds. He spoke through a burning bush. We're told in the Old Testament that his glory is so great, something so great that it cannot be beheld by his people. And then we get to the New Testament. And how do we encounter the presence of God? Well, God, he, he moves closer, doesn't he? He moves closer and he takes a step closer to us and God begins to dwell among us in the person of Jesus Christ. And John actually tells us this. He says, the word being Christ became flesh and dwelt among us. And guess what? Now, church, we beheld his glory. 
the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then Jesus comes and he completes his mission to die for us, to die in our place on the cross, to redeem his people and to be resurrected. And he ascends to his rightful place at the throne. And guess what? God takes a step closer to us. And Jesus tells us this in John chapter 14. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you a helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the whole world cannot receive, but it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. Why? For he dwells with you and will be in you. Isn't that unbelievable? The God who spoke through pillars of clouds and burning bushes, the God who spoke to us through the mouth of Jesus himself, says now that he is in us, that he resides and dwells in his people through the Holy Spirit. And this is important. This is why we start here. Because to imitate God, to live this life as imitators of God, our ability to walk in the ways of the Lord, our ability to experience that comes through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And so as a believer, as chapter one reminds us, you have been sealed with the promise of the Spirit. All the spiritual blessings are at your fingertips now, Christian. God resides in you through his Spirit. Well, if that's the case, if, if, if God is in us, if, if the Holy Spirit is in us, then why does Paul then say, be filled with the Spirit? If we already have it, how can we be filled with it? Well, what is Paul getting at here? Well, Paul's getting at this idea of something that is increasing, right? That, that though we have the Spirit, he's calling us to be increasingly conformed to the Spirit. In other words, that our lives will be lived more and more in step with the Spirit. That our lives will be lived more and more in step with the character of our God. The imperative here to be filled with the Spirit is an ongoing action. We are, the, 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 the Spirit comes uh, at the moment of salvation. as a one-time occurrence. God seals us with the Spirit, but then there's the ongoing participation that he's talking about here. There's an ongoing, continuous act of asking that the Spirit would fill us more and more, that we would receive the power to live in this life, the very character of God. And I consider it this way, perhaps uh, an example of physical exercise will help us. Uh, when I was a young lad, uh, back in the day, uh, believe it or not, my wife used to say, and I quote, you're quite the athlete. Um, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, back in the day, I, I, I did, did a lot more activity. Uh, we, we trained for road races and all kinds of stuff and, and was way more active. And then we had kids. And uh, I found myself telling myself in my mind, I'm never going to run again unless someone's chasing me. So uh, I just stopped. <laughs> and it's amazing when you invest so much into exercise, it's amazing how quickly your body can change when you stop doing it, right? When you stop making that investment, it's amazing the day you wake up and you look in the mirror and you're like, wow, things have changed, <laughs> right? Uh, the, the, why? Because the results of a consistent effort, when they disappear uh, and that's no longer maintained, then things will quickly change. And similarly, this is what Paul's getting at here. The, the Spirit is in us. But without continually seeking the Holy Spirit, we're going to stop experiencing the power of God that he provides for us to imitate him. You see, the Spirit is in us when we first believe, but most of us in this room, including myself here, is as if we have these locked rooms in our lives, these corners in our lives that we're saying, not yet. 
right? They, they, they haven't been immediately changed by his presence. So what Paul's calling us to, to, to do here is say, no, be filled with the Spirit, meaning allow the Lord, humbly allow the Lord to unlock those doors of your life and submit every area of your life to him to become increasingly conformed to the very character of Christ that is in you. It's a continuous thing he's calling us to. He's not implying that we don't have enough of him by being filled with the Spirit. Because if you're a believer, you have every spiritual blessing at your fingertips, as Ephesians 1 says. What he's implying is that perhaps there are parts of our lives, parts of our characters that we've yet fully yielded to him. And to seek continually to be filled is something that we should do as a Christian or else we're going to be missing out on the power of God that he provides for us to have lasting change in who we are. Now then he, he, he gives a comparison here of how this operates and works in our lives and why this is so important. He, he, be, he brings up getting drunk here uh, in comparison to being filled with the Spirit. Now, uh, that's quite a unique comparison. He says, uh, in one sense, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, why is he drawing this, like, this comparison here between the two? Well, I think in some ways there may be some overlap between getting drunk and being filled with the Spirit, and there's a lot of ways in which uh, they're very unlike one another. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, uh, at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descends upon the disciples, they begin to preach about God and teach of his wonders and, and proclaim the gospel, and they do it with such boldness and such joy and such fluency that, that literally people are observing what's happening and they're believing on the spot. But then there's other onlookers who are looking at the disciples, and guess what they're thinking? These guys must be drunk. <laughs> Their first inclination is they're intoxicated, right? Because no one exhibits that level of courage and happiness unless they're drunk. That's what they're thinking, right? Because there is something about being in an intoxicated state that eliminates fear. It actually increases our bravery in a lot of ways. And, and, and believe it or not, it increases some ways the temporary happiness that we can experience in life. But that's not necessarily what he's saying here is the operating power of the Spirit. Yes, we can get drunk, and, and that can provide courage. It can make us forget the ramifications of what we're doing. Yes, it can actually bring vulnerability in our lives, right? People say things uh, when they're drunk that they would not normally say otherwise. I remember a, a case of this of a guy in our hallway, where, in our apartment building where we live, and my wife and I were coming back from uh, a date night, and one of our neighbors, he's a, he's a great guy, I really enjoy him, but we've exchanged maybe five words the entire time we've lived there. And we're walking down the hallway, and he's also walking down the hallway, and he stops to, to look at Abby and I, and he says, guys, I love you. <laughs> and, he go, and he goes, I'm so thankful for all you do for this community. I'm like, man, this guy, like, I've never talked to him. And he's like, he's like bearing his soul to us, right? And the next day, he didn't say anything to us again. And to this day, um, we just give a, a wave, Hi, right? There's, there's something about, in all seriousness, something about being in that state that can actually heighten our ability to be vulnerable. Now, it's important to know that there's a vast difference between how the Spirit works to bring courage and vulnerability in our lives versus being drunk. Because what being drunk does is, although it can give us bravery, it can give us happiness, it does it because it's a depressant. It does it because it actually begins to distort reality for us. You see, what Paul's saying here is the fullness of Spirit doesn't act as a depressant in our lives. It acts as an enhancement. It actually enhances reality. You see, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, Paul is urging us to do certain things. He's saying, walk carefully, seek wisdom, understand God's will. These things require a heightened level of awareness of reality. And that's precisely what the filling of the Spirit does. It provides this type of awareness that allows us to see more of reality, not less of reality. So that even though the days are evil, we can still have courage and joy. It doesn't diminish, by, by diminishing our, our, our perception of what's going on around us, but actually heighten it 
by making it more real to us. See, one of the primary responsibilities of the Holy Spirit in your life and my life is to convey to us every moment of every day what God has done, what Jesus has done for you, and what he will continue to do for you. He puts a spotlight on the work of God in your life. He intends to communicate that to your soul in the most vivid and authentic way to remind you that Christ is the most beautiful, most powerful influence in your life. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It doesn't mean that our, our problems are, are diminished or go away when we're struggling in life. It doesn't mean that we can depress those things and just deal with, deal with them as if they're not there. No, the fullness of Christ doesn't bring a lesser reality. It brings a greater reality. But oftentimes we struggle with this in life, right? It's not just with drinking. We struggle with this in life, don't we? We like to fill our lives with things that would actually diminish reality, that are lesser things to fill us than Christ. Uh, Blaise Pascal, who's his brilliant intellect, said it this way, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. You see, the moments we feel empty in this life, we feel like we, we're not full in this life, is because we're feeling that God space with something infinitely smaller. And the human heart yearns for these things. The human heart strays to, from reality. You see, what, what Paul's doing here is he's not just going on a tangent about getting drunk and going to happy hours, okay? Wine is, is representative of something else. It's representative of, of anything that has the potential to intoxicate, dull, or distract our hearts from being filled with the truth and beauty of Christ. And you know what? Often these things are good things. But even the best of these things in life can become depressants of God's truth in our hearts when we allow good gifts to become sweeter and more beautiful and more important than God himself in our lives. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, if you aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in, but if you aim at earth, you get neither. I love that quote. Because oftentimes when we feel like we're not being filled in this life, perhaps it's because we're dulled and distracted by the things of earth from the presence of God. We've been aiming at earth a little bit too much. We've been intoxicated by lesser beauties and truths. And look, God's the one who created these things. He created wine. He created it for our enjoyment. But like too much wine, a little bit of too much of any good thing, career, food, sex, money, ambition, can dull and desensitize our hearts from the reality of who God is and what he is doing. These things can be lovely appetizers in life that can point us to the greatest meal we could ever treasure in our hearts, a, a meal of knowing Jesus. They're wonderful pointers, but they're not the point of life. And if we allow them to be the point of life, then they will actually dull our senses to see who God is and what he is doing in our lives. And so being filled with the Spirit is not just a supernatural happiness that we can experience. It's not just a, a moment of, of urethra. It's not just this, this moment of, aha, this is great that helps us escape the problems of our lives. No, we were actually created to be filled with the presence of God. We we're created to be satisfied with the fullness of God. And he has provided the opportunity through his spirit indwelling in us for us to be filled. And so he tells us here, he commands us to be filled with the spirit. Now, what does that do for our lives? How does that impact us? Well, the, the, the first way it impacts us is something we've already talked about. So we're just gonna lean in on this a little bit more. It actually brings a greater understanding of reality to our hearts. Look at verse 15. Again, he says, look carefully in how you walk. When the Bible talks about how we walk, it's talking about our day in and day out, moment by moment way of living. So when, a, when we talk about how we're walking, it's talking about how are we examining our life. He says, look carefully in how you walk. How, how are you walking, living your life? Are you examining it? Are you thinking about every step by step that you're taking? Is there, is there something that you're filtering it through? 
He says, look carefully on how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. He says we should walk with what? Wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is is being uh, being able to look at the world realistically, not with rose-colored glasses, not naively, not idealistically, but realistically, knowing the truth of, of reality. And then he says, making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Therefore, he says, do not be foolish, but understand what? What is the will of the Lord? Now, how do we understand the will of the Lord? Well, how do we do that? Well, it's through God's word. You see, scripture teaches us that to be filled with the spirit, it actually means we have to spend time in his word. And Colossians 3 gives us a great example of this. Colossians 3 is the parallel passage to this where Paul almost says the exact same thing to the church at Colossae, except he has one addendum that's a little bit different than here in Ephesians chapter 5. This is what he says in Colossians chapter 3. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You want to have a greater understanding of reality? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You want to experience the power of God's spirit in you? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It will create a greater understanding of this life. A a greater understanding to walk in wisdom in this life, to not be foolish in this life, to carefully examine your life, right? And this has been true of, of my own life. There are moments where I walk through life, guess what? I'm not feeling the supernatural power of God in me. (laughs) There are moments where I walk as a human on my two feet where I do not feel that. But there is something that happens when the word of God dwells in me richly. The spirit fills me. There's something that happens when I go to his word and I'm reminded of the weightiness and the glory of his presence. There's something when the word of God dwells in me richly where I'm reminded of his peace that surpasses all understanding. There's something when the word of God dwells in me richly and I go to his word that I'm reminded that there is joy in God that is greater than wine and grain that abounds. There's something beautiful about going to his word and allowing it to, to dwell in us and us to dwell in it richly because it has rich effects on our life. So being filled with the spirit, having a greater sense of reality, being able to walk as an imitator of God means we have to be in his word. We have to be seeking his word. Now, how does this practically look in our lives? Well, when hard times come, when things come looming over us, as the text says, when the days are evil, where do we run to in those moments? And this is where a greater sense of reality can help us. Because when life gets tough, it's tempting to want to just, to, to, to go to something that will knock us out, to go to something that will just dull our pain, to go to something that we, can just, we just veg out for a moment and escape reality. But being filled with the Spirit says there's a better way than that. There's a better way than just dulling the pain. You can actually have a heightened sense of reality that can allow you to, to lift your eyes above the situation that you run, you run into, whether it's you lose a job and you're thinking, how am I going to overcome this? Or you're grieving the loss of someone dear to you. And it's easy to think, well, what can I go to a lesser thing to fill my life, to intoxicate me in the moment, to diminish this reality that's hard because the days are evil. Or I can go to the Lord. And I can allow the Spirit of God through His Word to help me see the bigger picture of reality in my life. You see, the Spirit of God can give you meaning in those moments. Not by depressing, but, but allowing you to understand reality. And it happens like this. In those moments where you lose your job, you, you can be reminded that the Lord is sovereign. You can be reminded of the promise of Scripture that those things haven't vanished from you just because you lost a job. That the Lord is still working all things for your good. 
that he's got you in the palm of his hand, that the sheep know his voice and they, they listen to him and he has us and nothing can snatch us out of his hand. And when you're grieving the loss of a loved one and you feel like all you want to do is just is, is take something that can take the pain away, is to be reminded of the moment that the Spirit can fill you with a comfort that is beyond all other comforts. It can remind you that God is near to the brokenhearted. It can remind you in those moments that he knows all of our weaknesses and he can sympathize with every single one of them. And there's a promise that one day he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. That is what the Spirit of God does. It brings us to a bigger part of reality. It leads us to truth, and it shines light on truth. Now, it only just doesn't expound a bigger part of reality, but it also gives us a more joyful song to sing. How's the feeling of the Spirit impact our lives? Well, it allows us to experience joy in a way that nothing else can bring. It allows us to experience gratitude in a way that nothing else can bring. Notice how Paul immediately goes to singing and music. What he says, he says, be filled with the Spirit, Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now, why would Paul go from this command to be filled with the Spirit and immediately lean heavily into music? Why is he doing that? Well, I think practically because music is really a a universal art form that we all experience in life. What I mean by that is that, that some of us can identify with different forms of beauty and art in this world. Some of us can go to a, a museum and admire paintings all day and love that. Some of us can't stand that, right? Some of us can go to, to the theater and, and, and find beauty in that. But all of us in some way have an experience with music, right? Whether you're walking down the street, you're in your car, you're at a restaurant, you're having friends over for dinner, in almost every situation, what is in the background of our lives? music. We experience it in so many different ways. Even Plato himself said it this way, music is a moral law. It gives soul to the universe, wings to the mind, flight to the imagination, and charm and gaiety to life and to everything. You see, music moves us in a way that other things just can't. It's one thing to think about how much, uh, to read in the Bible of how much God loves us. It's another thing to talk about and to sing that we can sing of his love forever. See, Paul very intently is showing us that one of the ways we express the, the feeling of the Holy Spirit, one of the ways we experience this is through music. Now, outside of Christianity, this is, this is kind of weird, honestly, if you think about it, because how many people come together once a week to stand and anticipate singing together? right? That's kind of weird when you think about it. Not a lot of people do that. But every week we come together with a bunch of people, some of people we don't even know, and we stand here and we anticipate singing together. Why do we do that? Well, Psalm 27 tells us why we do that. Because when we come to dwell in the house of the Lord, Psalm 27 says, we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. You see, we praise things that we encounter that are beautiful. When you encounter beauty, you're compelled to praise it, and you're also compelled to share it. When you encounter something beautiful, your appreciation for that beauty cannot be completed until you begin to express it, until you begin to proclaim it, until you begin to express it and sing about it. You see, the delight that we have is incomplete until we begin to express beauty. But beauty is not just something we express, it's also something we share. When you see something beautiful, you don't want to hold it to yourself. You don't want to share it with others. Which is why Paul says here that when we sing, we don't just do this individually. He uses the plural here. 
And he says we address one another. You see, when we come together and we sing, we do it as a community. In fact, the filling of the Spirit here is not just an individual act. We come as a community to be filled with the Spirit together. And one of the outpourings of the filling of the Spirit is to sing and to praise and to enjoy the beauty of our God together. It's not meant to be something we do in isolation. It's not meant to just be something we do alone. That's why, just naturally, the reason we enjoy concerts, right? Some of you, I definitely know you enjoy concerts more than others, uh, based off how often you, sp- you spend your weekends at concerts. Uh, but we, the reason we enjoy concerts is because we know there's something different about listening to our favorite artists on Spotify and our headphones, and then going and experiencing it live. It's a different experience. It's a different experience when you're around thousands of your closest friends for the night, singing your heart out, joy and, and, and exuberance to this artist that you love, Right? There's something beautiful, there's something different about that. And that's exactly what we get to do every single week we come together. You see, one of the most perplexing things is to watch someone who is a Christian worship board. Now, I'm not referring to different styles of worship. I'm not saying how we express it, whether we're more introspective or we we throw our hands up. But, But it's perplexing to think that someone can experience and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and be bored with the presence of God. When we sing, we're singing out of an overflow of the most beautiful person in the history of the world in Jesus Christ. And we go to a concert, we exuberate joy in the moment. And and why can we not have the same level of joy, even a greater level of joy, when we are worshiping the capital A artist of all artists? The one who is beauty beyond all beauty. The one who is behind and beneath and before every single part of good beauty and art in this world that we could ever experience. Paul is encouraging us here. When we behold the beauty of God together, we are filled with his spirit. We're filled with the spirit of God in our worship. But it also does something else for us. It, it promotes gratitude within us. Look what he says in verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, one of the ways in which the the, the Spirit fills us in our worship is when we're grateful for who God is and what he's done. It leads our hearts to gratitude. And notice how he says this, it is in everything, always in everything to God. Now that's hard, right? (laughs) That's hard to think of. How How does it bring us to a place where we can give thanks in everything? Well, here's how it happens for me. On a Sunday morning, when I sit here in the front row and we begin to sing, one of the things that naturally happens and the way the Spirit fills me is as we're worshiping, I begin to be overcome with all God has done for me. With all my problems, with everything that's, that's, that's happening in life, with all the, the challenges that I face, I begin to be reminded in that moment, and it hits me like a ton of bricks, everything that he's done for me. And as we're singing our songs together, I'm singing to my soul to remind me that God has always pursued me. That he knew my name before I ever was born. That there's not been a single moment in my life, a single second of my life where I've walked through this life alone. That he came for me. That my life is completely different because I know God. And I'm reminded of his love for me and what he has done for me on the cross. And I'm overwhelmed with that. You see, the reality of what Paul's saying here is there's really no excuse for a Christian to be grumpy in life. <laughs> now, now we, we deal with it, right? We're human, okay? We have our moments when we're grumpy, but what he's saying is when we're filled with the Spirit, we don't have reason to be grumpy. We have infinite reasons to be thankful. We have infinite reasons to allow that to overflow and joy in our singing in life. 
and to bear testimony to the God who always gives us a reason to praise him. The reason why we have a more joyful song to sing today is because we know God and he has filled us with his spirit. And I love this because it's been true of my whole life. I can remember moments when this has happened to me. I remember when I was 18 years old and I was, I was a, a, a relatively new Christian and I was experiencing this urge, this call to like want to get up and speak about Jesus to people. And I didn't know what that was. I was fearful of it. And I remember sitting in a congregation singing a song that says, Lord, I want to yearn for you. And in that moment, I was filled with the spirit and that fear diminished. I felt, Lord, you're calling me to this. I remember the darkest days of, of the pandemic here in the city, the darkest days of ministry uh, for us at King's Church. And I remember it was a song. It was singing over me. It is well with my soul. My sin not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Singing those words reminded me of the provision and grace of God. And I can remember that moment today when he filled me in that moment with gratitude and thankfulness because of him. And just this past week, Ben and I, we received a letter from a family who went through a really tough time this past year. And they were thanking us for how the church stood by them and helped them. But in the middle of their letter, you know what they did? They cited two songs that stuck with them through it all. And they actually printed out the lyrics in the letter and gave us the lyrics to the song so that we could sing them with them. Music has a powerful way of reminding us of who God is and what he has done in our lives, that we can give thanks, that we have a more joyful song to sing today because of what our God has done. So as we come to our time of conclusion with the Lord's Supper, let's answer question number three. How can we be filled with the Spirit? Well, it begins with being filled with Christ. It begins with trusting in Him. Being reminded of His love and grace this morning that He can love us no more than He's already loved us and He will love us no less than He already loves us. That we're united with Christ by believing in Him. It is Him alone that can satisfy us to the fullest. He not only loves us, but He enjoys us. He delights in us. Zephaniah 3 tells us that the Lord takes delight in his people. He rejoices over us with loud singing. The Lord sings over us. Every bit of God's love towards us is a gift. It is fully his grace. And so today we can cry out to him and we can be filled with the spirit because it is a gift of God. I'm reminded of Psalm 51 where David cries out desperately to the Lord. He says, Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. David, in a moment of sin, he recognizes that he does not want to be abandoned from the presence of the Lord. And he recognizes this moment because of his sin that God has every right to take his spirit away from him. He has every right to abandon him. And David pleads as a sinner before the Lord, Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. You know what the Lord did? The Lord didn't take it from him. You know, centuries later, the ultimate David comes on the scene. A descendant of David, the king of Israel, the true king of Israel comes and he sings a different psalm than Psalm 51. He sings, sings Psalm 22. The growing and crying of Jesus on the cross that says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know what Jesus is saying on the cross there? God, take not your presence from me. The same thing. God, don't hide your face from me. Take not your presence from me. And you know what God did? God did that exactly. Why? See, the reason that Jesus sang that song on the cross is that we could sing a new song today. A song that says, my God, my God, why have you accepted me? And when you sing that song, you can look back on the cross and say, it was because Jesus was abandoned on the cross for us. It's because he stood in our place, because he sang that song for us. And now we get the credit. You know, I, I, I tell my wife all the time, I wish I could sing. And she knows this. She sits next to me in church. 
she, I, I really wish I could sing. I, I don't know why. I just I really have a desire that I should have been an artist and I wanted to sing. And I just I hope you know someday that because I'm sitting close to the stage that when people hear the beautiful voices up here, maybe they'll think it's me and I can take the credit for them. <laughs> but the reality is, like our hearts want to take the credit for someone else's glory, and that's precisely what we get to do in the Gospels. Jesus says, "You get to take credit for my beauty. You get to take credit for my glory." You couldn't do it on your own anyways. I provided it for you. He gives us that. He reminds us of that. He sings to us today that he is standing in our place and that he has taken what we deserve so that we could have his beauty, his righteousness. Are we bored today in the presence of God? If so, let's remember his grace. Are we having trouble loving this morning? Are we angry Allow the grace of God this morning, above all else, to melt our hearts. Are we anxious? Are we afraid that God is not going to do what he said in our lives? Be thankful. You're reminded of his grace, that he's not going to abandon you. Look to the cross this morning. See what Jesus has done for you already. And allow this to keep us singing a more joyful song this morning. Allowing us to give thanks, rejoicing in the Lord who rejoices over us. Be filled with the Spirit, church. And now as we come to communion, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.